0: Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto-pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto-pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling accounts to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. ctmobile.com
1: right, welcome in. Big win for the C's tonight as they take out the Memphis Grizzlies 120-107. to 107. Without Jalen Brown, and the replacement for Jalen Brown was Aaron Neesmith. And unfortunately for him, he goes down with an ankle injury as well. Had to leave the game on a wheel, wheelchair. So that's the unfortunate part for the Celtics. The good news is they absolutely crushed the Memphis Grizzlies. I get it. It's a 13-point game, but it wasn't that close in the second half. We're the only place if you want to react to the Celtics tonight. Hockey game on the other station. So certainly welcome to away in. What do you make of this win from the Celtics? And now, are you reconsidering Jason Tatum over... Ja Morant, I saw the poll question today on Merloni and Fourier. Who would you rather have, Jason Tatum or Ja Morant? And the poll results were 53% for John ja Morant and 47% from for Jason Tatum, rather. So would you change your opinion on that? 617 nine seven ninety three seven is the number. Brian Barrett with you up until midnight. And I want to start right there. So Tatum tonight started off kind of slow in this game, but ends up with 37 points. He ends up with six rebounds, five assists, four of them in the third quarter. And he had a season-high 21 points in the fourth quarter. This is what we've been asking for. This is what we've been wanting to see from Tatum. And really, ever since the turn of the calendar year to 2022, this is what we've been seeing from Jason Tatum. And I felt like a lot of people were hesitant to sort of hop on this bandwagon of the Celtics because of the fact that you look at this winning streak and you kept saying, if you were negative on this team, well, All these teams have these injuries. They beat the Nuggets, and they didn't have Jamal Murray or Michael Porter Jr. Well, the Nuggets are an incredible team just because they have Jokic, and Jamal Murray hasn't played all season long. So that really didn't make sense to me whatsoever. But it just felt like people were trying to poke all these holes and all the wins that the Celtics were picking up. Well, Memphis, I get it. They don't have Dylan Brooks, but the Celtics didn't have Jalen Brown. And the Celtics show up tonight, and they take it to the Grizzlies. In fact, the only reason that the Grizzlies were in this game whatsoever was because of the fact that in the first half, they were getting all these points on dumb turnovers by the Celtics. That's what the Grizzlies do. They live in transition. They average the most fast-break points in the NBA, and they live off second-half points. They're over 18 points per game on second-chance points. That's all they were doing, second-chance points, and the Celtics had a couple of dumb turnovers there, more than a couple of dumb turnovers in the first half half of the basketball game. That's the only reason they were in it. If you didn't turn the ball over in that first half and you did a better job on the boards, although I got to give Memphis more credit for that because they've been doing this all season long. It wasn't like the Detroit game where the Celtics gave up all those offensive rebounds. No, this is a good rebounding team. It's the best offensive rebounding team of the NBA. They get 30% of their misses, which is tops in the league. And you look at their numbers tonight, they end up with 15 offensive rebounds in this game. Or excuse me, they end up with... 17 offensive rebounds in this game. So this is sort of what they do. They are not a good half-court offensive team. And we saw that tonight. If you look at it on the season, the Grizzlies ranked 23rd in half-court offense. So you knew if you were going to win this game, all you got to do is keep them in the half-court. They're not going to be efficient whatsoever. And that's exactly what happened. Even their best player, John Morant, he had a couple of threes. And it was, I don't want to say it was garbage time, but it wasn't the fourth quarter when the game was in hand. All night long, he was struggling shooting. And this is something that he has struggled with throughout the season. He's never been a great shooter. Never been a great shooter. He's good when he gets in the lane, and he's number one in the NBA in point, points in the paint per game, which is pretty impressive considering the fact that he plays the point guard position. But if you look at John Moran tonight, the Celtics did a really good job on him. They essentially dared him to shoot from the perimeter. If you look at it, four of 12 from three-point territory. And the win there is that you forced him to shoot 12 threes. You made him settle. You made him think because all the Celtics were doing is, if it was a switch, if it was the main defender that was on him, they were just sitting back there and say, go ahead and take it. We dare you to take the three. Four of 12 on threes, one of three from mid-range. He was seven of nine in the restricted area. That's where he got the bulk of his points. Outside the restricted area on the night, you look at it, he is six for 20. Six for 20. Six for 20 outside of the restricted area. Guy took a bunch of shots and he threw up a bunch of bricks. And you have to give the Celtics credit for that from a defensive perspective. They dared him to take those shots and he couldn't hit him. On the other side of this, you had Jason Tatum, who was absolutely phenomenal tonight. He, by the way, was living in the restricted area. Same amount of points in the restricted area as John Morant. He gets in there for 14 points. Obviously, he was really great from flow to range as well. Jason Tatum busted this out tonight. At one point during the fourth quarter, he turned a Eurostep into a floater, which is a very difficult thing to do. And it's sort of the evolution of Tatum. And we've seen it as of late. Also, really good for mid range, two for three in this game for mid range. So Tatum had it going. And I feel like this is the thing that I would say that is the most impressive part of this win for Tatum. John Morant came into his building. And, yes, John Morant had 38 points, but it was a very inefficient 38. He was 13 of 29 from the field, and he was 4 of 12 from three-point territory. Tatum, meanwhile, ends up 7 of 8 from the free-throw line as well. But, clearly, Tatum was the better player on the court tonight. A lot of John Morant scoring those 38 points, a lot of it was when the game didn't matter. He was absolutely atrocious in the first half outside of the restricted era. He was 3 for 5 in the restricted area in the first half, and he was 0 for 9 outside of the restricted era. The guy couldn't do anything unless he was at the basket. He had that highlight dunk and all that, but there was more substance in this game with Tatum. And it does feel like there was a lot of momentum coming into this game with Ja Morant. There has been some MVP buzz, which is absolutely ridiculous to me. I don't know how anybody can put this guy in the MVP conversation when you have Jokic and Embiid. Not to mention Giannis is having a significantly better season as him as well. But I do feel like this is a big statement for Tatum. Because it's a guy that came into the league two years after him, even though... John Morant played two years at the collegiate level, so he's only really one year younger than Tatum. But I hope after this game tonight, there's more an appreciation from the fan base and from the media in particular for what Jason Tatum means to this team, because the way that Jason Tatum has to carry this team compared to what John Morant has to do, it's not even close. I, you look at it on the season. The Grizzlies are 11-2 and without John Morant. So it's another reason, like, I can't understand why this guy's getting MVP buzz. They're 11-2 and two without him. The Celtics have played four games without Tatum. They're 2-2. Two and two. The Celtics on the season, if you look at their net rating with Jason Tatum, it's 9.1. Without Jason Tatum on the court, it's minus 2.1. So you're talking about an 11.2 difference. These on-off numbers, the only guy that is, like, way out of Tatum's league when it comes to this is Jokic. Outside of this, Tatum is one of the best in terms of, if you look at it the season, the total point differential when Tatum's on the court compared to off the court, that difference, he's third in the NBA behind only Jokic and Curry. That's how valuable he's been to the Celtics. And if you look at a guy like John Morant, and we saw a lot of this tonight, that guy is paper mache on the defensive side of the floor. He is angel food cake. That guy is soft. I mean, there's no way around it. You look at them on the season— with John Morant, they're a plus 5.2 points per 100 possession with John on the court. That's good. But they're also plus 4.7 without him. It's a 0.5 difference. Their defense is atrocious when he's on the floor. When they're on the floor with him, they have an 11.8 defensive rating. That, that would be about 21st in the league. Without him on the court, they're 106.6. So, yeah, John Morant is a great story. He's a great player. I'm not trying to, like—this isn't some huge indictment on John Morant. But the fact that there was a poll question up at this station— and the fact that 53% of people say they would prefer John Morant to Jason Tatum, that is absolutely ridiculous. It makes no sense to me whatsoever. And the other thing I would say as it pertains to Tatum, this is the perfect prototype that you want to be the number one player on your team. You don't win with small diminutive guards. That's not how you win in the NBA. And if you look at it, John Morant, six foot three, very slender. I get it. Unbelievable athlete. He's fun to watch. But I'll take Jason Tatum over him any day of the week. Think about the history of this league in terms of the recent champions. Kawhi Leonard, Giannis. When the Warriors were winning, Kevin Durant was their best player. In fact, if you look at it going all the way back to the late 80s, the only two diminutive guards that have been the best player on championship teams, Isaiah Thomas with the Pistons, and that was an incredible defensive team and an unbelievable cast, right? They went back-to-back championships in the late 80s you got to go all the way to 2015 with Steph Curry. And you know what it took Steph Curry to do to win the championship? He had to be the greatest shooter in the history of the sport. That's how he won a championship. He had to be the greatest shooter in the history of the sport. And the Cavs are blitzing him, double-teaming him like crazy, and then they just destroyed him because Draymond Green was playing four on three with the Cavaliers' defense. But those are the only two guys. It's Durant. It's Kawhi. It's LeBron. It's now Giannis. You go back to it's Kobe on the wing. That's how you win in the NBA with premier wing guys. Even if you go back to Dallas, it was Dirk who was in the post-it times but played at that I mean was really great in that elbow area. This is the prototype you want. And when I look at Jason Tatum right now, it does feel like he has turned a corner in terms of he's become a playmaker. Ime Adoka called him out on the nineteenth, and he didn't call him out in particular, but he basically called out the team when he said, What are you doing when your shot's not falling? Since that point, Jason Tatum is averaging more assists per game than he was prior to that. So once Jason Tatum became this creator, if you will, and became a better distributor, this team has completely taken off. It's not a coincidence that Jason Tatum's assist numbers are way up, and the Celtics are way better since he's been doing that. And I'm not saying that he was a selfish player. If you look at it in terms of guys that play the same position as Tatum— It takes them a while to become a creator. Like, you can't really compare guys to LeBron. The comparison to LeBron is Luka Doncic, who came into the league as an incredible passer, if you will, right? He's not, Jason Tatum's not in the LeBron, Doncic, and Harden prototype, right? The guys you got to compare him to are Kevin Durant, Kawhi Leonard, and Paul George. Those type of players. And if you look at it, it took Kevin Durant until year six to average more than four assists per game. Tatum did it last year. It took Kawhi Leonard, how about this, until year nine to average four assists per game. Tatum did it in year four. So the playmaking was the last skill that Tatum was going to have to develop. I know we get on him at times as it pertains to his shot selection, but you saw it tonight. When the Grizzlies went on a little bit of a run there at the start of the fourth quarter, I should say midway through the fourth quarter, Ime Adoka calls a timeout. What does Tatum do? Just bullies his way to the basket and gets to the free throw line. So those are the two things that I was most interested in before the season with Tatum. Where he gets to the free throw line more, and he's really been doing that a lot more since the turn of the calendar year. He's been getting to the free throw line more. And how is he going to evolve as a distributor and as a playmaker? And we've seen that over the past couple of weeks. So when you look at it, this Celtics team, they I'm not going to say they have as good of a chance as anybody in the Eastern Conference, but they definitely have a puncher's chance with this type of team. Think about it. It's not the NBA that we saw a couple of years ago with super teams, with the Golden State Warriors, et cetera. You don't have three stars on teams anymore, especially considering what happened with her old friend Kyrie and the Brooklyn Nets and James Harden going to Philadelphia. But you have an elite playmaker in Jason Tatum, or I should say an elite scorer in Jason Tatum, an elite player at the wing position and the best defense in the NBA. This is a recipe that we've seen in recent history that can make a run to the NBA Finals. And the reason I say that is because we saw it in 2019 with Kawhi Leonard and the Raptors. One elite player and a really good supporting cast. And the Celtics certainly have that. All right, 617-779-7937 is the number. Brian Barrett with you up until midnight. So if you want to weigh in on this game, what did you make of this win from the Celtics? Are they legitimate contenders? And would you take Jason Tatum over... John Morant, 617-779-7937, the number right here on WEI.
3: The home for Sox fans.
0: Now,
1: here's what's trending on WEI. All right, trending now on WEI and WEI.com. Impressive win for the Seas as they take out the Memphis Grizzlies, 120-107. Jason Tatum leads the way with his 37 points, 6 rebounds, 5 assists. We'll get into Al Horford. He was great tonight, 21-15-5. and five. He also had two blocks. Robert Williams, another day at the office, 10 points, 12 rebounds, three steals, and three blocks. Marcus Smart, how about this, 18 points and 12 assists. Incredible night for Marcus Smart as well. Now, the unfortunate news, Aaron Neesmith had to leave the game after suffering an ankle injury. Grant Williams off the bench, 11 points, three for three from three-point territory. He is now 24 of his last 46 from three-point territory. Pretty impressive. And the Seas will host the Nets on Sunday afternoon. Cannot wait for that one because that means Kyrie will play. We'll see if Ben Simmons plays. But Kevin Durant actually made his return tonight. I know he had 17 points at at half, which is pretty impressive considering the guy missed six weeks and he comes back. And all of a sudden he's out there putting up 17 points in the first half. They were playing the Heat, though. So they ended up, oh, they lost that game, 113-107 to to Miami. Miami forged 42-22 now. Kevin Durant ended up with 31 in this game, by the way. Two of seven from three, but still 31 in your return. Not not bad. By the way, Imei Doka named Coach of the Month for February. The Bees and the Golden Knights underway. The Bruins right now with a one nothing lead. Uh, second period just underway out there in Vegas. Craig Smith with the goal for the Bees. Meanwhile, the NFL and the Players Association have suspended all league-wide COVID-19 protocols effective immediately. All right, if you want to weigh in on the Celtics after this win, how impressive has Jason Tatum been? Would you take him over John Morant? And is this a legitimate contender? 617-779-7937, the number right here on WEI. Tune in is the audio platform with something for everyone.
2: If your day sounds like. We need the report ASAP. You deserve Modelo. If you've persevered through. You deserve this rich golden lager with a crisp and refreshing taste. Or if you overcame. Two more reps, two more. You deserve this ice cold reward. Modelo, the markable fighter. Drink responsibly, beer imported by Crowley Port, Chicago, Illinois.
1: Back in Brian Barrett with you up until midnight if you want to weigh in on this one. The C's with a 120-107 win over the Memphis Grizzlies. They now improve to 38-27 and on the season. They have the best net rating, of course, in the Eastern Conference. And a big thing for the Celtics that has completely changed in 2022 is their performance in the fourth quarter. So if you look back to 2021, the Celtics were one of the worst fourth quarter teams in the NBA. And I'm not exaggerating. Their net rating in the fourth quarter in 2021 was 29th. They were outscored by 9.6 points per 100 possessions. In 2022, they're up to third in the fourth quarter with an 8.9 net rating. It's two totally different teams. We've seen part of it is they're much better moving the ball. They're much better attacking the basket. And in particular, your number one player, Jason Tatum, has been significantly better in the fourth quarter since the turn of the calendar year. 617-779-7937, 617 779 the number. Let's get to Dave. He's in a car. What's up, Dave?
3: Hey, I got to tell you, you're on your game, dropping in stats, you know, talking about commentary. You're doing a great job. And I got to tell you, I was kind of a Jalen Brown guy a few years ago. Yep. And, man, he just keeps kind of getting hurt. But Tatum just shows up. He just keeps getting better. It keeps getting bigger, and to your point, you're not going to win with guard play. You need that mid-range guy that's going to do it all. And every, it seems like every year, this guy just keeps getting better.
1: Yeah, Dave. I mean, and I him,
3: would, he yeah, can I would shoot
1: say, it. Yeah, Dave. I would say this: if you go back to a couple of years ago, right before the pandemic, remember he took a leap when they were out in LA. And LeBron said he was the next yep. one, and Kawhi and Paul George couldn't handle him. And then he went to the Orlando bubble, and he was right. the best player on a team that went to the conference finals. He averaged 25-10-5 yep. and five in that run. And then last year, it was kind of stagnant. Then he got to the postseason, yep. and he played against Durant. He had that 50-point game, and it felt like, okay, maybe this is something to build off. He comes out this year, and it's kind of similar. It's like, ah, you don't really see the improvement. And then since the start of the new year, he looks like a totally different player. And I would also say to your point— he has gotten significantly bigger. You can tell, and that helps his finishing. When he gets to the basket it's now, on. it's no more It's no more of that pretty crap, Dave. He's just going through you. That's right. Uh, he can
3: take a baseline. He's, I love the mid-range game. And he's, God, that ball goes up, and it goes in. And he, he's tough. And, and now I think he's starting to get, like, he's been there for so long. Like, you know, oh, he's great, he's great. Now it's like he's hitting his prime like a man. You know, he's kind of, okay, you know, he lives the life. But now it's like he just wants to win. <laughs>
1: yeah. You know right. what I mean? Yeah, Dave, appreciate the phone call, man. His line's open if you'd like to grab it at 617-779-7937. Now, my whole point about Jalen Brown is I feel like we had this discussion at the beginning of the season. We had it last year. And we had it recently, this whole idea of like, oh, can Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum play together? Well, they have the best net rating in terms of the differential points per 100 possession of any duo in the NBA. That's just the facts of those two playing together. But I really don't feel like it's a duo. Like I don't feel like Jason Tatum, I don't feel like it's close to Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown being on the same level. And I do factor in like going forward with Brad Stevens. I said midway through the season, every move that Brad makes, the question he should be asking himself is, how does this move affect Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum? But I don't believe that should be the case anymore. It should be, how does this move help Jason Tatum? It's not about Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown anymore. It's about building your team 100% completely around Jason Tatum's skill set. That's what you need to be doing. So I look at this with Jalen. This is the concern that I have. And really, this is the biggest concern I have about this Celtics team as they get ready to possibly make a postseason run. My biggest concern is the injuries, right? I mean, if you look through it, with this Celtics team, Robert Williams has an injury history. And look, he looks great right now. I, I'm not disputing how well he's played over the past couple of weeks. I mean, the guy's been absolutely incredible. But with Jalen Brown, Marcus Smart has a little bit of an injury history as well as he just missed some time recently and missed time before that. So those are three of, what, your four to five best players. Obviously, Tatum's way up here. And then it's Jalen Brown and then how Robert Williams, Marcus Smart, Derek White, whatever order you want to put them in. But They come after Jalen Brown, right? So that's four of your main guys that have an injury history, if you will. Here's my concern about Jalen. This isn't like a one-year thing. This is every single year with him, right? I mean, if you really look at it, so Jalen Brown, I went back through it through the past two seasons, including playoffs because, of course, the Celtics played that five-game series against the Nets last year. If you look at it, Jalen Brown has played in 108 out of the 143 games. So he's missed 24.4% of the games over the past two seasons. How about Jason Tatum? He's played in 130 of the 143. He's missed 9% of the games. Oh, by the way, if you look at it, four games he missed this season were due to COVID. I mean, at this particular point in time, you can't really avoid that. I guess now we're in a much better spot, obviously. But you go back to last year. He missed five games due to COVID, so 12 games due to COVID. One game he missed last year was at the end of the season. They already had the seventh seed wrapped up, so there was no point in him playing. He's missed one game in the last two seasons that has been like something other than COVID or because the team didn't need to play, and there was no point to playing because what if he gets hurt in the last game of the season when you can't affect your seed whatsoever? He is an Man. It's underrated in this league. Jason Tatum is second in the NBA in minutes. Second. And I gave you those on-off numbers with Tatum, how bad the Celtics are when he goes off the court. And look, they've been much better as of late. I'm not denying that. But when Jason Tatum's off the court, this looks like a lottery team. And a lottery team that's picking significantly high in the draft. That's how much he's carrying this team. So just think about that. Jason Tatum has played in 61 of the 65 games. Imagine where this team would be if you reverse the Jalen Brown injury situation to the Jason Tatum injury situation. Because the Celtics have proven time and time again, they can survive when Jalen Brown's off the court. Now, obviously, if they're going to make a potential postseason run, they need Jalen Brown on the court. And the main reason for that is they're so damn thin, right? I mean, you saw, and not that he's been impactful, but you saw Aaron Neesmith go down, who was starting in place. Of Jalen Brown. He had to leave the game on a wheelchair. That's how bad that ankle turn was. And I don't know what the hell was going on at the Garden. Five quarters, you had four people turn their ankles. Jalen Brown, Trey Young, Stephen Adams, who came back in the game, and Aaron Neesmith. In back-to-back games, in five quarters, that's happened at the Garden. I don't know what the hell hell's going on with these turned ankles, if you will. But it just feels like there's always something with Jalen Brown. And Jason Tatum, last year, like, I wanted to see what those guys could do together in a postseason run, but I think we got to stop asking the question that way. I think what we need to do now is just ask the question of, well, how far can Jason Tatum take this team? And they have really done a good job with the supporting cast. I give Ime Adoka a ton of credit for this. They found ways to use Robert Williams offensively, and he opens up a lot for them offensively because when he's coming up and setting the screen for Tatum, you basically, as a defense, have to bring three guys to that. Because here's the problem. If you double-team Tatum, he's throwing the lob up to Robert Williams. Okay, so if you blitz Tatum, you're screwed because he's throwing that pass to Robert Williams. Here's the other thing. Once you bring that help defender over now to take Robert Williams when he gets the ball on the roll, well, here's what Robert Williams is doing. He's throwing it immediately to Grant Williams, who's who's sitting there in the corner, and Grant Williams on the season is shooting 51% on corner threes. That's the best in the NBA And entering tonight, he was shooting 43.8% on threes in general, which is third in the NBA, which is an incredible, I don't know if you say it's a player development thing with the Celtics with Grant Williams, because we know in the past they have not been the greatest in terms of player development, but I give the player a ton of credit. This is a guy that came into the league, he couldn't shoot. And look at what he's doing in terms of his ability from three-point territory right now. He's legitimately turned into one of the best catch-and-shoot, one of the best spot-up three-point shooters in the NBA. The numbers don't lie. He was pretty good last year. He's taken it to a totally different level. So that's the weapon that Robert Williams brings to this team. Smart is back, to because I did feel like it felt like at times at the beginning of this season, he wasn't the same level of athlete. Now he's back to that, so maybe it was just a health thing. I mean, that play he made the other night, are you kidding me? When he jumps into the crowd and just taps the ball back in bounds at the end of the game against Atlanta, I mean, that was awfully impressive from Smart. White has obviously been a really nice addition. The thing you liked it from him is... If he can just be passable shooting the three, that's the only problem with him. It just, at times, he does not look confident whatsoever. And I, I am interested to see Derek White now that Jalen Browns, we'll see how much time he misses, but obviously you have to have some level of patience with White because now he's played really well, really good defensively and all that. But one of the things you got to realize is Derek White, when he was in San Antonio, 2.4 Minutes in terms of time of possession per game, 40.8 touches. Well, here he's, I should say this is with the Celtics, 40.8 touches per game. In San Antonio, he was at 55.3 touches per game. So he's trying to figure out a way where he's playing off the ball a whole lot more than he was in San Antonio. It was basically him and DeJounte Murray as the primary ball handlers there. Here, obviously, he's down in the food chain. He's behind Tatum. He's behind Brown when he's in there. He's behind Marcus Smart. So he's got to find his ways. And I do like the fact that they go with Derek White essentially running things tonight. And they did this in the other game against Atlanta the other night when Jalen Brown's off the court because they got to find ways to make him more useful offensively because I do fear in the postseason that shooting could become an issue with this team. That's the one thing the Celtics, of course. Now, Grant Williams doing a great job in all that. And Al was unconscious tonight from 3 points territory, but he's had a rough season when it comes to that, but the one thing that scares me about the postseason is guys playing off Derek White. That's why they're going to be more creative, and we've seen Ime Adoka do this as of late, where he's coming out of the corner and he's coming off a screen, because they got to make sure that he's still a weapon offensively, because he does have a good skill set. And one thing he's really good at, remember, since he joined the Celtics, 53% from floater range. With the Spurs, he's at 48, so he is good when he gets downhill because he has that floater as a weapon. Six one seven 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 nine seven ninety three seven. The number. Let's get to John. He's in a car. John, what's up, man? Brian Barrett, how you doing tonight? Good, man. How are you? Hey,
0: oh, fantastic. Hey, your fantastic commentary right there. I got I, now. Now I've got like five hundred things I could say, but I'm going to be quick on a couple of them. Uh, the, the first thing is uh, Grant Williams. It was that second of the back to back threes the other night. You're absolutely right. The qu- There was such a quick uh, window that he had to hit that, and he got it immediately and was ready to shoot from uh, from Tatum. That was fantastic. He's been a great, a great player this year shooting. Um, man, you could have also added on the Tatum love fest that you went off, which is absolutely on the money, that <laughs> he also played in the Olympics. Like, on top of all of that, he was in the Olympics and has come back, and he had a rough start, but he's obviously – been uh, a different player uh, we we've talked in the in the past couple of weeks he's attacking the hoop and it's not just like he's finding windows he's booming people again on regular basis night after night we we see a monster dunk from him not just he has an open lane but he's on somebody in or somebody's on him and he's making a great shot fantastic work
1: yeah well oh, and man. here's the difference too it's just the finishing when he gets in there he's over 75 yeah, yeah. percent from in the restricted area now since the start of the new year prior to that he was at like 63%. There's no way he should be at 63%. So I feel like there has been Remember a... when uh good. Remember when the fans
0: were were questioning whether he spent too much time in the gym? Ugh. I remember <laughs> yeah, a lot exactly John. Listen. I, I, I remember
1: that- I I remember a lot of crap the fans said about Tate. Remember how the fans <laughs> said, "Oh, I don't know if he wants it. I don't know if he's got the killer instinct." And I'm like Wait, hold on. Did anybody yep. did anybody watch the Orlando bubble? Did did anybody watch him put 50 on the Nets last year? What the hell are we talking about? The which, guy's like 22. He goes to the conference finals, no. and people want to say he doesn't have the killer instinct. I don't get it. I really don't. I've said it
0: before. I, I recently listened to the entire podcast with J.J. With JJ Redick. It is worth – if you are a, a Tatum, like, on-the-fence guy – put aside the all NBA talk and just listen to the basketball stuff and you will have a different appreciation for does Tatum want to win. And it's absolutely. Yes.
1: Yeah. John. Hey, appreciate Great the call. Up, yeah. appreciate the call as always. This line's open. If you want to grab it at nine seven ninety three seven. Yeah. One of the things that we've seen from Robert Williams is, and look, some of this you have to give the coaching staff credit for, but obviously a lot of the credit goes to the player we always knew that he was a freak of an athlete. But one of the things we've seen from Robert Williams, he was a good passer when he immediately came into the NBA. But now it's like drilled into him. If he catches the ball in the short roll, he is going to throw the ball to the corner. And that's how he's getting a lot of his assists. And if you look at it tonight, he has three assists. And now Robert Williams and Anthony Davis, they're the only two players in the NBA, averaging at least two blocks per game, at least two assists per game, and at least nine rebounds per game. He's in a category with Anthony Davis, and I know Anthony Davis has not had the best season this year, but just think about that in terms of the context. Anthony Davis was the best defensive player in the Orlando bubble a couple of years ago. He was actually the best player on that Lakers team that won the championship. He was better than LeBron in that playoff run right, if you watch those games. So the point being, this is a very unique talent, and the Celtics have done a really good job using him in terms of, I give him a ton of credit, and Scal was the first one to point this out when he was on with Lou and Christian a couple of weeks ago one of the things they've done with Robert Williams is instead of him basically covering the traditional big, if you will, because unlike most teams, I should say, the Celtics play two bigs. Most teams in the NBA don't play two bigs. That's just how it sort of goes is this is the modern-day NBA, right? It's usually one big and four guys other than that that are wing size and point guard size, whatever. But you get the point is ordinarily when you see the – teams today, like the Celtics and the Cavs are really the only teams that play two bigs. Indiana used to do it before, of course, they sent uh, DeMontis Sabonis over to Sacramento, which was a dumbass trade for them. But anyway, or a good trade for the Pacers, dumbass trade for Sacramento, I should say. But nonetheless, if you look at it, those two guys together, I was really hesitant to say, okay, yeah, this is going to work, having essentially two big guys on the floor at the same time, because we just haven't seen it work that much in the NBA recently. And if you look at the Celtics' two-big lineup with Williams and Horford on the floor, they have a 111.5 offensive rating and a 99.8 defensive rating. So that would be the best defense in the league and it'd be in the top 10-ish in terms of offensive rating. That's an 11.9 net rating. So that's something that was unexpected to me and I really questioned it at the beginning of the season. Like, how the hell are they going to make this work? I feel like, okay, you can make it work defensively, but how are you going to make it work offensively? And Ime Adok has found a way to make it work on both ends of the floor. And the thing they do with Robert Williams is they essentially put him on a shooter, like somebody that's going to hang out in the corner. So that way, when any team is running pick and roll action, they have Robert Williams coming across as the help defender, and he is just erasing things. And we saw it tonight. I mean, the Celtics are one of the best shot-blocking teams in the league. Williams has three blocks, and he had two-on-one possession, and Al Horford had two blocks. So that's a big thing with them in terms of, With those two guys back there, they have an identity. And the fact that the Celtics, as a team, if you look at them, how they're built right now, even Peyton Pritchard, I give him credit, he moves his feet well on defense. But if you look at the main rotation, guys, Tatum, Horford, Robert Williams, Marcus Smart, Grant Williams, Derek White, and when Jalen Brown, of course, is available and not injured. When you look at that group of players, this is the key thing for the Celtics when they head into the postseason. And this is what kind of differentiates them from other teams in the Eastern Conference. Not to say this means they're the best team, but I'm just pointing this out. If you go through the Eastern Conference and you look at the playoff teams, if you will, and you identify each team's rotation, if you will, in their closing lineup. So if you look at a team like the Chicago Bulls, they have guys that you can target defensively. If Vucevic is on the floor for them, you're just putting them in a pick and roll and they're done. I mean, you're going to expose that guy. That's why Chicago on the season has been pretty bad as it pertains to their defensive rating. They're 20th in the league. Now, I would also mention the fact that, yeah, they've had guys, two two of their better defenders, Caruso and Lonzo Ball, have missed time. But you get the point. They have a guy that you can go after. When you look, for example, at a team like the Philadelphia 76ers and you think about, oh, yeah, James Harden, you can go at James Harden defensively. That guy's a dog on defense. Not to mention, I'm not so sure how that's going to work defensively. They've had an angel food cake-like schedule since Harden joined them. But one of the things they do traditionally is they drop and beat. And we saw, That's a bad matchup for Philly defensively because Tatum can just walk into jump shots, as can Jalen Brown if he's available for that series. But even Miami, who's been a really elite defensive team, you think about them in the postseason, you can go at Hero and you can go at Duncan Robinson. With the Celtics, you really don't have a guy that you can identify and say, you can go after that guy. Cleveland, I just don't see them being a good matchup. Like, I believe the Celtics would beat sweep them or beat them in five because of the fact they don't have any wing defenders. Like, their wing defender is Isaac Akuro, a second-year guy. You think he's going to handle Jason Tatum? They don't have that type of defender. They don't have that level of defender. And Atlanta cannot hang with the Celtics in a series. I get that they don't have John Collins, but look what they did to Trey Young the other night. In the third quarter, they just kept getting him switched on Jason Tatum, and it's over. So I feel like that's a situation where they have defenders they can expose. When I, so when I compare the Celtics to these Eastern Conference teams, obviously they don't have the firepower offensively that Philly has, that Brooklyn has. They don't have that type of firepower. But when you look at what the Celtics do have that all these other teams in the East don't have – is they have defensive personnel where they don't have a weak link. All these other teams, you can identify the weak link. All right, 617-779-7937 is the number. Brian Barrett with you up until midnight. So, if you don't want to get in on this, what did you make of the Celtics' win tonight? Do you think they're a legitimate, bona fide contender? And after watching tonight, would you take Jason Tatum over John ja Morant if you were starting your team right now? I would. If you disagree, certainly welcome to weigh in. And one note I want to mention in terms of something the Celtics did tonight that makes me feel good about them entering the postseason. I'll get to that next year on EEI. All right, Brian Barrow with you up until midnight if you want to wait in on the Celtics. What did you make of the performance from Jason Tatum tonight? Al Horford in the table as well, as he played really well. Is this team a legitimate contender going forward now? 617 779 is the number. They've been hot, really. They've been on a heater since the start of the new year. But... It does feel like the past, or I should say this week in general, is sort of like a litmus test for the Celtics. Now, Atlanta has not been playing that well this season, but Trey Young was coming to town, and that's a team that made it all the way to the Eastern Conference Finals last year. So that was sort of like the first test this week, and the Celtics passed that with flying colors after essentially... They did not show up for the first half of the game, especially on the defensive side of the floor, and they completely ramped that up in the second half and in particular into the third quarter. The Celtics have been one of the best third-quarter teams in the NBA all season long. They have a 5.5 net rating in the third quarter, meaning points per 100 possessions, the differential there, which is fourth in the NBA. So they've been really good, and I guess you got to credit Ema Adolka for that, whatever he's saying to these guys during halftime, it's clearly working. And now you have John ja Morant, and John ja Morant comes into the garden as basically, right now, the most popular player in the NBA. I'm not talking about jersey sales or anything along those lines, but he just had that 50-point game the other night. He had that amazing dunk. He had another sick dunk tonight, by the way, of course, on the lob. But he had that incredible buzzer-beater shot at the end of the half or whatever it was at the end of that quarter there. Remember that? It was like a... Basically, Steven Adams threw him a touchdown pass. He just threw it up. So he was the talk of the NBA over the past couple of nights. So this is a big test. And you didn't have your second-best player in Jalen Brown. So this is another hurdle for the Celtics to get over. Beat a guy that is a fringy MVP candidate. I don't know why people think the guy's the MVP. I'm not going to go on a tangent about that. I I get way too much into the NBA. But the Jokic's, the Embiid's, the Giannises, all those guys from my perspective— are ahead of him as it pertains to the MVP ballot. He's not He's not even close to those guys. DeMar DeRozan is ahead of him on the MVP ballot. This team is barely better with him on the floor than off the floor. That's just the reality. But you look at the numbers. 0.5 points better when he's on the court than when he's off the court. Jason Tatum, that differential is over 11. So he's carrying a team, Jason Tatum. Jaw's part of a really good team. He's a really good player. He's their best player, but the guy is Angel food cake on the defensive side of the floor. So this is a big test for the Celtics to get over, and Jason Tatum, and I understand that Jaw had 38 points, but let's all agree on this. A lot of that was when the game was already decided, and the Celtics were letting him shoot threes. Congratulations, he had a couple of open threes at the end of the game there, but this is a big test for the Celtics, and this is one that I guarantee you what would have happened on this station tomorrow. If the Celtics lost this game, people would have gone at the Celtics. Oh, see, yeah, look what happens when they go up against a real player, blah, blah, blah. That's what you would have heard tomorrow. And what happens? Celtics took it right to these guys. Took it right to them. Oh, and the thing I liked about tonight's game in particular is, so the Celtics on the season, they're okay on the offensive glass. Robert Williams is one of the best offensive rebounders in the NBA. He's at four a game, which is second to only Steven Adams of the Memphis Grizzlies. He He's at 46 so Robert Williams really good in the offensive glass. Other than that, Horford will do it from time to time. But the Celtics 10th as a team, 10.7. And you knew that was the strength of the Memphis Grizzlies. They hit the offensive glass. Well, what did the Celtics do tonight? They gave them a little bit of their own medicine. The Celtics did a really good job on the offensive boards getting themselves extra possessions. They had 15 offensive rebounds. And if you look at it on the season, Memphis is number one in the NBA in offensive rebounds per game at 14.1. So the Celtics now, they gave up offensive rebounds, 18 of them. But if you look at it, the Celtics also were able to get extra possessions for themselves, which is obviously huge for them in this game because here was the thing about Memphis coming in. They get the majority or they're most efficient in transition. Most teams are, but they average the most fast break points in the NBA. They get the most points on second chance opportunities. That's how their bread is buttered. When you keep them in the half court, they have the 23rd ranked offense in the NBA. They are not a good team when you keep them in the half court. So that was the thing the Celtics had to sort of do, and they struggled with it at times, and they had some careless turnovers, especially in the second quarter. But even with Memphis doing what it does, Memphis, basically from a statistical perspective, they did what they ordinarily do. They were able to go out there and get the... Seventeen offensive rebounds, that's more than the average on the season. They were able to do they were able to sustain Memphis's best punch. This is what Memphis does. Now, maybe they would have liked to shoot it a little bit better, but they're not a good shooting team. They're one of the worst shooting teams in the entire league. Six one seven, seven seven nine, seven ninety, three seven the number. Let's get to Jake. What's up, Jake?
2: Hey, hey. Uh thanks for uh taking the call. I just wanted to answer the uh the question are the Celtics legitimate contenders? Sure. So I I think the answer here has to be yes. Um, You know, looking at the way they've been playing, the defensive numbers alone just show that, you know, we can really take on anyone and shut down another team's best opponent. And I I got to imagine that every team in the East is hoping they don't see the Celtics in the playoffs right now.
1: Yeah, because, Jake, they're going to be a bitch to play against. Like, even if you're more talented, like Philadelphia may have – they'll have the best player in the series right now because Joel Embiid, right? And they have a guy like James Harden who's definitely a better number two than Jason Tatum has. But they're just going to be a difficult team to play because of the way they sort of do things defensively.
2: Oh, for sure, for sure. I I think the one area the Celtics may have some trouble in is the depth. I mean, you saw tonight um, that there were some injuries that, you know, it's concerning. One guy goes down and, and you wonder how deep we can go. But... I, I think the, the Sixers sort of sacrificed the same thing by getting Harden, and they they, they may come into the same trouble. Embiid, you know, he's been healthier in the last couple of years, but he may run into the same trouble, and, and Brooklyn seems to be in the same case. I think it's really open for us to, to get
0: all the way there.
1: All right, Jake, appreciate the call, man. His line's open if you'd like to grab it at 617 nine seven ninety three seven. Now, I did just see this come through, thanks to Justin Turpin, who texted me, Nick Sjouskis, Just signed a two-year deal with the Celtics. Now, he's been going off in the G League. 57 points and 43 points in back-to-back G League games. But he's really never done much of anything as it pertains to his NBA career. Now, I'm looking to see if there was some overlap with him and Ime Adoka in Philadelphia or Brooklyn. There must have been in terms of some overlap there. But you look at him in terms of his NBA career. was a lottery pick. 6.8 points per game. 35% from three, 38% from the field. So, obviously, Ime Adolka and Brad Stevens think there's something they can get out of this guy. I'm just not very hopeful. The guy that I wanted the Celtics to go after was a buyout guy in Gary Harris. Now, he hasn't got bought out yet, but that made sense to me because a good defensive player that is consistent as it pertains to shooting. But the one thing I'll say about bringing in Stauskas that makes sense is this bench is really short right now. So maybe they think he can give them some scoring punch, considering the fact that the guy just had 57 and 43. Let's get to Adam in Boston. Adam, what's up, bro?
3: So what's going on, my friend? So, hey, I just wanted to talk about and
0: see, you know, the Celtics being a legitimate contender. Sure. And, you know, Boston is my team and everything. But I'm going to have to say no, to be honest, just because if you look at the East, honestly, the East is kind of deep this year. If you look at one through five, you know, besides Cleveland, I, which I think Boston is better than Cleveland, I'd have to honestly put, you know, you, you know Miami, Philly, Milwaukee, um, and even Chicago ahead of us, to be honest.
1: No, Adam, not Chicago. Come on, I appreciate the call. His line's open. I know that Chicago's ahead of them in the standings. Chicago, that would not be a good matchup for them against the Celtics. They don't have any wing defenders. All right, 793-7, the number. Brian Barrett with you up until midnight. Are the C's legitimate contenders? Do you now change your opinion? Would you take Jason Tatum over John ja Morant? We'll get into all that right here on EEI. Tune in is the audio platform with something for everyone. News. In
0: order to secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively. Sports. The clock at four. Donchich. The step back three. You bet. Music. You said my word